Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff, and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one -on -one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the High Performance Mindset. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, and thank you so much for joining me here today on episode 373 with Morris Morrison. Now, if you know that mindset is essential to your success, then you are in the right place. Because here on the podcast, we talk about everything related to mindset. And if you haven't already, head over to Facebook and join us at the High Performance Mindset Facebook group. Tomorrow, I'm gonna be on there giving away some free Beyond Grit books. And you will also learn about more tangible strategies to help you be at your best and find inspiration and people to connect with that are also high performers over there on the High Performance Mindset Podcast group on Facebook. And today I interview Morris Morrison. Morris is the CEO of Storymaker Brands and a Windmill Park Media, whose purpose is to build stronger, smarter, and kinder human beings. I first met Morris several years ago at a speaker showcase. He was incredible, brought so much energy and inspiration, and I knew I needed to have Morris on this podcast, especially during this time of uncertainty and change. Now, Morris's story began in the bright lights of New York City before being orphaned twice. His unforgettable message sounds like a Hollywood movie script and his energy on stage literally is a unique brand of engagement that explodes and connects with the audience of all ages and backgrounds. And his primary goal is to build fearless, focused leaders that drive uncomfortable change, growth, and disruption. Morris has a genuine desire to increase human connection, bring families and communities closer, and make organizations more impactful through service and generosity. He is the author of two books, his first book called Overnight Success, an inspiring story about culture, results, and the American dream, and his new book, Disrupt Yourself, Disrupting, Growing, and Giving on Purpose. And in this podcast, Morris and I talk about what it means to disrupt yourself and why now it is so important to actually disrupt yourself. He talks about what lessons Coach COVID taught him. I love the idea of Coach COVID, and we talk about that in this episode, and I'm hopeful you're gonna be thinking about what did Coach COVID teach you as well. We talk about what to do when we experience fear, why it is essential for leaders to drive uncomfortable change, seven steps to help you focus and achieve results, and additional strategies we can use to increase our conviction. Now, because of the energy and momentum created with this podcast episode between myself and Morris, Morris has created a special offer for you, the High Performance Mindset listeners only. 
So in this episode, we talk about Morris's monthly momentum membership and Morris's momentum membership program has been described as better than Netflix. It features monthly content for great energy, inspiration, and instruction directly from Morris Morrison that will help you develop a healthier mindset. So normally it is $39.99 per month, but Morris is giving us access, all of you listeners, to this program for 90% off, just $3.99 per month because you're a high-performance mindset listener. So the offer will last 30 days to ensure that you will be able to access the episode at a later time, just in case you do, and or you are listening right now at a later time, and you can still have the chance to take full advantage of this offer. So after you're listening to this episode, head over to morrismorrison.com slash disrupt. And disrupt is the name of this podcast episode, also the name of his upcoming book. Again, morrismorrison.com slash disrupt. Without further ado, my friends, we're going to bring on Morris. Morris, I'm so pumped to have you on the High Performance Mindset Podcast this week. You know, um, when I think about the last time I saw you, it was in Minneapolis. We yeah. are in a showcase and you crushed it. Um, the audience was loving your energy. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. I'm excited to be here. And I love your energy. So this is, you know, so I'm excited to spend these next few minutes together to see what we can do. So for all your amazing listeners that are part of your family and part of your your tribe that are out there, let's um let's do something really cool for them. Here's to them. How about that? Here's to them. It's all about them, always. <laughs> so to start us off, Morris, tell us a little bit about your passion and what you do now. And you know, it's funny, COVID's given us a lot of time to, to think and redefine a lot of things. I was watching Cinderella this past weekend with my daughter, and, okay. and there's, the, there's the point in the movie where the prince, he looks at Cinderella, and this is when he's, he's dancing with her, and she's wondering who he really is, and she's like, oh my God, you're a prince, and he said, no, I'm just an apprentice. I'm in learning stages, and hopefully I'll always be able to say that, and I said, Wow. There's no other greater title, apprentice slash student that I've ever fallen in love with. Because to be honest with you, you know, like a lot of speakers, my speaking schedule was crushed this past year. Yeah. And along with my ego and my yeah. pride and humility and everything else. Yeah. But I sat here one day and I was thinking to myself, I was asking, you know, what mindset, what growth mindset am I going to use? Not only through this, but how do I want to to reestablish things after COVID and start, I started thinking to myself, I said, if I change my title, what will my title change be? Cause I have always, I've never fully loved the title speaker, author, teacher, this, that there's all these different things that people call us when you and I know that we have such amazing clients and family and friends and such an amazing speakers community out there. The world recognizes us as speakers, but at the same time, what we get to do with customers is so much more than speaking at an event. Um, it's life change. And you and I know it's life change. So yeah. I say that to say, I had a bad day during COVID and I sat here for hours thinking, okay, I don't want to have a pity party today. I want to figure out what, what new title would I give myself? If I gave myself a title, what would it be? And to be honest, I, I, I could not come up with anything. And as you know, my new book, uh, Disrupt Yourself is getting ready to come out. A lot of people call me a disruptor. Um, a lot of people tell me they love my energy, but the fact is I could not come up with the title. So that evening I was walking with my daughter, Dory, 
she's six years old. We were actually on our bikes and we went past a neighbor's house who's out there playing his guitar. And this guy, his name is Matthew. And he okay. can sing like Dave Matthews. He's amazing. And my daughter hadn't met him yet. And as we drove up to him, uh, we were listening to some of his music. And I said, hey, Mr. Matthew, I want you to meet my daughter, Dory. This is Dory. And she looked up at him. And what she said shifted me forever to this day. What she said next changed me so much that I started two new companies this year. And we changed my former company over to the new name of what she said, a six-year-old girl rebranded my whole life. She looked at him and she said, wow, you play the guitar. She said, do you play the guitar on stage? He said, yeah, I do. And then she turned and looked up at me because she knows that her daddy lives on stage. Right. She turned and looked up at me and she looked back at Mr. Matt. She said, Mr. Matt, do you want to know who my daddy is? You, you want to know what he does? He, he lives on stage too, but do you want to know what he really does? And as soon as she said it, she had no idea that I had sat all day trying to figure out just that day in the office, what do I do for people? Who am I really? And how do I want to redefine this mindset moving forward? She looked at him and she said, Mr. Matthew, my daddy's a story maker. Oh, that's awesome. And he paused and he said, you mean storyteller? She goes, no, no, no. She said, my daddy's a story maker. And he teaches other people how to make their own stories. And I look down at her and of course I'm fighting back the tears and her name is Dory, but I call her gummy bear. So I, was, I look down and I said, gummy bear. I said, she had no idea how much she blessed my heart. I just gave her the biggest hug. And, and I said, well, I guess I'm a story maker. And I went to bed that night. Just, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking, what's the difference between a story maker and a storyteller? And not to be critical of anyone out here, but I, I tell you something, we're in an industry where we meet a lot of storytellers and sure. storytelling is an essential component to reaching people and touching hearts. But to be a storyteller, you simply regurgitate facts, stories, and information. Mm -hmm. Some of us do it better than others. Mm -hmm. Some of you do it better than some of us. But to be a story maker, you have to own every aspect of your journey, especially your mindset. Yeah. So I figured there's no better way to open up than that. That's who I, I guess I'm a story maker, according to my daughter, but I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Well, I have seen that Morris on your website and I was like a story maker. That's really interesting. So I love that it came from your daughter. Yeah. So, you know, when I think about, there's so many different ways that uh, we're going to go into in this interview, but one of the first questions I want to ask you is like, what have you done to make sure your mindset is strong during COVID? Because, I mean, similar to me, you know, usually my August is, um, I'm so busy, I don't even know what day it is. And it was nice to not be so busy in August, but, you know, our work has changed. So how have you made sure to manage this mindset that you got? I'll give you the simple answer, but I'll make sure your listeners understand this clearly. I don't call this COVID. I call him Coach COVID. Because see, as an athlete, I see things as an athlete. Coach COVID sat me on the bench. And I have not got a chance to sit on the bench and pause and have solitude and truly reflect. Um, I'm 41 years old. Um, let me give you perspective. I lost my parents in New York City as a baby. Then I lost my second set of parents as a teen. And I realized just a couple months ago that I have not stopped mm -hmm. for, for, I'd say, 
23, 24 years. And here's why. In high school, I had to do well in sports because that was going to get me a scholarship. And But I also had to do well in class because I didn't want to just be a black athlete, just another black athlete who's trying to go to the NBA or something like that. So I, I took all AP classes. Um, I was terribly busy with basketball and football, and, and I executed well, and I got a chance to go to college, and I played basketball, and, and I started speaking in college, and, you know, I, I was busy in college because I had to get a degree, right? I had right. to do well in college, and then, of course, if I really want to be successful, I had to go to grad school, and I had to get a master's, and then, you know, I started in HR and sales, and, and once I started my corporate career, well, I knew I was going to be a speaker, but I had to work really hard, right? Because I'm just starting my new job. I just got out of grad school. So of course I had to work really hard for those first eight years. And then of course, almost 10 years ago at age 31, I started my company and I started speaking full time. And God knows when you're an entrepreneur, yes. you work three times as hard than you do when you're working for somebody else. So for the past nine and a half years, I've not had a chance to breathe. I've been married to my amazing wife, Lisa, who I refer to as, that's my bookie bear. Of course, we have Dory, that's my gummy bear, she's six. We have a bonus daughter named Aaliyah, who we take care of, she's seven. She's my Lily bear. So between my speaking schedule and between having these girls who I love, and by the way, we just got a golden doodle dog. And her oh name is Oh my gosh, Harley. golden doodle. Oh God, and now we got a girl doggy in the house named Harley. So I got all my girls in here who I love. Watch this. That all sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds really good. But it's not so good when you realize that you haven't taken a break literally for 25 years. And Coach COVID sat me on the bench and gave me the blessing and the opportunity. He said, Morris, you're going to sit down and you're going to cheer for your teammates for a little while. And you're going to watch the game from the bench. And of course, I was frustrated because all my events for 2020 were canceled. And I'm at the peak of my speaking career. Things are going great. Yeah. And I was frustrated at first. But can I tell you something? How have I balanced out my mindset during this time, which is this question? Coach COVID gave me a chance to reflect mm -hmm. for the first time of my life as an adult. I mean, I, I thought I've done it well, and I teach people to do this. You and I, you know, we teach people to pause and have Absolutely. solitude and reflect but I was forced to do it. And can I tell you something? I am not the same person that I was five months ago. And awesome. I would not, no amount of money could make me go back to change it. I'm yeah. sorry for the people that died during COVID. I'm sorry for the traumatic stuff that has happened because God knows my heart is breaking. But as for me, I have never been healthier than I am now. Reflection. Reflection. And what are the things that you're going to do differently moving forward because I feel you know Morris that you and I have kind of a similar story in terms of what's happened in COVID I was so busy that it was like and then I've learned to pivot and adjust my business right yeah. but there's been these magical moments with my family that I was so busy I didn't know always norm, normally see them you know and yeah. um it's like my favorite story or my favorite moment of COVID was we were downstairs in my basement playing hide and go seek in the dark yeah with yeah. an 11 and 13 year old like they're way too cool for school to play like you know hide and go seek with their mom <laughs> yeah yeah it was amazing yeah. you know so what will you do differently moving forward i'm embarrassed to, to answer this but i'm going to because i need to be transparent so that your listeners and so that people in your tribe can understand that the humanity that all of us have realized during COVID is a beautiful thing 
Um, most of us, we don't remember our humanity, in my opinion, until our late 60s or 70s, when our, we need a first hip replacement or something happens on our body and we realize we probably got another 15 Christmases left, right? But right. at this stage, we, we just forget about our humanity. But for me, what am I going to do differently? First of all, um, I am going to start putting me first um, before my family, before my customers, before everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to develop the most selfless mentality by being selfish because uh, I used to give from my cup and my cup has always been full, but mm -hmm. I'm never going to give from my cup ever again. I'm going to make sure that by putting me first, that my cup is always overflowing and I'm going to give from my overflow. I'm never going to give from what's inside of my cup ever again. That's mine. That's mine. And that's how God uses me to bless people. That's how God uses me to be a better husband for Lisa, a better dad, dad for Dorian and Aaliyah. But I am going to protect what's in that cup more than I ever have before. And if I don't have enough overflow to give, I won't give it. And I'll, I'll learn how to have healthier boundaries and how to say no. And that's for my customers. That's yeah. in my community. That's everywhere I serve. That's the right. first thing I'm going to do. I'm, not, I'm never going to not give outside of my overflow. Second, I realized I've been thinking really small and, 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 and let me tell you, thinking small, United States small, you know, I've been focusing on the digital transformation of the second company. We've been growing for a couple of years now. I want to take over Abu Dhabi. I want to take over Dubai. I want to take over India, which is the fastest emerging business climate in the world. And I want to take over Singapore and other parts of Asia. And I haven't had time to really focus on that because I've been so content with the success that I have here in North America. And so other than the fact that I'm never going to get from my overflow, I'm embarrassed at how small I've been thinking. And I'm not going to think small anymore. But once again, Coach COVID helped me realize this. I love the Coach COVID analogy. And I think what you're just really describing is the power of taking a step back and reflecting and thinking about how do you want to show up? Who do you yeah. want to be? And so, Morris, I'm thinking about your book that is available for pre-order that people can, um, can order now. Uh, and it comes out late September. Tell us about, like, what it means to disrupt yourself. Well, you disrupted me by saying September. Don't do that to me. You'll get me in trouble. Oh, did I say it's, September? It's like late, it's like late October, <laughs> late October, November. You get me in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble. What so can people do to long. disrupt yourself? What can people do to disrupt yourself? Here's yeah, what does it mean first? Well, I would have described this differently six months ago. Six months ago, I would have said something like, oh, it means, you know, proactively making sure you live in a state of uncomfort, you know, while also being highly disciplined. I would have said something like that. And the book focused on that. But right now, I'm going to go back and tell you uh, what this amazing, one of the smartest marketers and branders that I've ever met in my life. She's really gifted and everyone needs to hire her. Her name is Dory and she's my daughter. And as I said, when she told me I was a story maker, uh, I loved it and it sounded great, but I almost did not want to receive the, the compliment that she gave me because to be a story maker, you own your disruption. You never let yourself get comfortable. And if I can be honest, what does it look like for us to own our disruptions? <laughs> well, here's how we frame it in the book. It starts with the small things that we do because you're all about growth. You're all, you are all about mindset. And everyone Absolutely. listening to this podcast, this is about mindset. You actually get uncomfortable if you realize you're comfortable. And you force things on yourself, whether it's going vegan for a month so you can learn the habit of understanding how to 
order food differently when you go out or how to purchase food differently when you go to the store or whether it's shifting your sugar intake or whether it's becoming more of an active listener and actually shutting your mouth when other people are talking, right? There's so many little things we can do to disrupt ourselves that will first change us, but then also change our impact on other people. I believe, I believe it always starts with us. And I believe um, before we impact others, we got to know ourselves first, which is getting back to the old age adage of emotional intelligence of EQ. Yeah, for um, sure. That's what it all comes down to. And the last thing I'll say about disrupting yourself, I'm trying to be more honest with, with my customers. I've always been honest, but I'm trying to be a lot more direct in saying, as an artist, what's the best gift that I could give the world? And the best, best gift that I could give the world, to be honest with you, is the fact that I was orphaned in New York City. I was orphaned a second time. And I've had horrible things happen to me. As many people who are listening to this have had many horrible things happen to them. I believe that if you haven't gone through a storm, you're either in the middle of a storm or you're coming out of a storm or you're headed towards one. We're all somewhere on that cycle, right? The best mm -hmm. gift I could give people is when I tell people that being orphaned twice was the best thing that happened to me because I never ever had a chance in this life to get comfortable. And as a result, I have high, high expectations for myself, for my wife, for my family, and for my customers. And that that's something we don't, we're not hearing that as much anymore because they have high expectations. You have to have highly refined, refined habits and discipline to go with those expectations. And that's the best gift that I have to give to someone because it starts with me first. Oh, Morris, a uh, couple of things I want to ask you about. Well, first of all, I think um, to say that it was the best thing that ever happened to you. I'm, I'm, I know there are people that are listening, thinking about something they've struggled with and maybe how that's a gift. Um, yeah. And I'm hearing that that also pushed you to be uncomfortable. Like, why, why do you think it's important that um, we don't let ourselves just be comfortable, that we're continually pushing our own boundaries of uncomfortableness? This is a simple two-line uh, question, answer. Because it's not about us. Hmm. Especially in the space that you and I are in. And I believe anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, the only people who are listening or watching this podcast right now are people who care about growth and yes. people who care about living their best life so they can impact others. Well, here's the deal. Because it's not about you, and it's about us as servants, leaders, servant leaders serving. Well, you can't serve. You can't give something that you do not have. And so the more disciplined I, I am at home and in the work that I do over all of my habits and my thoughts, the more gifts and the more I have to offer. That's why I have to push myself. And some people don't like that. Some people don't like holding themselves to a standard above and beyond the status quo. Well, and I don't. think that I read this somewhere that was a quote from you and you said, you know, it's important for leaders to drive uncomfortable change. And when I read that, Morris, I was like, drive uncomfortable change. <laughs> There's a lot of leaders that would maybe say, oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable yeah. or I don't like change. Right. And, and I think about all the stuff that's happening with COVID, how COVID can be a coach. Uh, but why do you think it's important for leaders to drive uncomfortable change? 
But let me be honest. I mean, I'm a capitalist at heart. So I listen, and the necklace that I wear is a necklace that has a dime on it. And I wear this dime necklace because it's 10% of a dollar. And the Bible that I read says we're supposed to give 10%. But really, uh, understanding generosity is what changed my life. So as you see, I have like nice curly hair. See my nice curly hair. There's the only problem with having nice curly hair, right? No one knew how to cut my hair when I was young. You want to talk about driving uncomfortable change. You want to talk about uncomfortable. Every time my grandmother took me somewhere to get my hair cut, the black barbers didn't know how to cut it. The white barbers couldn't cut it. It's talking about uncomfortable. So at age 10 or 11, she got me a pair of clippers and I started shaving my hair myself. And of course it was horrible. I had no idea. It was, it was, it was as bad as you think it was. If you can imagine it being bad, that's how bad it was. But see, here's the thing. After about a year, I actually started to understand how to work the clippers and the guards and the attachments. And, and I wasn't that much better, but I had a comfort level. So what was once uncomfortable, it transitioned to a comfort level. You know, the worst part about cutting your hair that no one told me about was, is the vibration of the clippers. So there's the vibration when you like, and then, so that's uncomfortable, right? And as you start to get that close to your head, you're thinking, all right, so this is uncomfortable, but I'm about to cut my hair off. After a year, it didn't look any better than it did when I first started cutting it. But my comfort level with holding the clippers, that changed. About a year later, I got really, really good cutting my hair. What's that have to do with this? I started making a lot of money cutting hair. All my white friends, cause see, I didn't know that curly hair was the hardest grade of hair to cut. No one told me that. I just knew that I had to cut my hair because I was in an uncomfortable situation that I had to own, right? Black barbers could not cut it. White barbers couldn't cut it. Uncomfortable. But once I learned how to cut my hair, every black friend that I had wanted me to cut their hair because I could cut it really good because curly hair is the hardest hair to cut. All my white friends wanted me to cut it because I could cut theirs real good because curly hair was the hardest hair to cut. But it was that moment where having all of that money in my pocket because I started cutting hair, I started cutting the doctor's hair, the attorney's hair, professional's hair. So by the time I was 16, I was known as the guy to go to if you want a good haircut. So, and I was an entrepreneur because in, in the wintertime, I also shoveled snow. Summertime, I, I also cut grass. So during that period, as I went to church and the collection plate would get passed by me on Sundays, I started giving my money. And I want to connect something really important. This question, you asked me, why is it important for us to drive uncomfortable change? Mm-hmm. Watch this. Every CEO that I work with, every professional athlete that I work with, every stay-at-home mom that I connect with, you know what they all know? Every single one of them, they know exactly what they need to do to move their organization forward, to move their relationship with their kids forward, or to serve their customers. They know what they need to do, but to them, just to even approach it, scares the heck out of them so much. It's just like that when I was holding the clippers up to me, It was uncomfortable for a long time before Mm -hmm. I developed any proficiency or competency or actual skill in cutting hair. But here's why you have to drive the uncomfortable change. You got to face it. You got to be fearless because once you get through that awkward moment of how uncomfortable it is, 
it'll slowly start to become comfortable and then you will develop a skill set then you will have something better to offer to your customers to your spouse to your yeah. kids at home and it only starts with doing what's uncomfortable because at the end of this whole process you have more to give and everything that i talk about comes back to how generous you're being so if you don't want to get uncomfortable that's okay if you want to be comfortable that's fine but you won't have as much to give and if you do have a lot to give but you're not being uncomfortable let me be really clear to anyone listening if you think you're giving a lot but you're not letting yourself get honest and real and uncomfortable then there's either an integrity issue an authenticity issue or possibly a credibility issue because you haven't been tried and of course that last part is my opinion so i don't want someone listening to feel like i just called them out by saying if you're not being uncomfortable uh you may not have integrity or authenticity or credibility no but what i know that works for me because i have customers who need me for stuff and they need me to help them have a better mindset it starts with me at home and it starts with driving that uncomfortable stuff with Morris Morrison first, before Lisa Morrison, before my customers or before my kids, it starts there. And, and that's a perfect picture of why we have to drive uncomfortable change. Morris, you said so much there, um, but I think the thing that I really liked the most was like when you are uncomfortable, you have more to give and you have the skill set and the tools to be able to give to more people and you also said like you got to face it and be fearless right to yeah. develop the tools and develop the skill set in yourself i had a jf menard on my podcast maybe a year ago and he works with yeah. like elite olympians um elite athletes in canada and he says that the best are not best athletes are not uh fearless they just fear less and I like that idea of, you know, just like fear will be there. I think when you're trying something new and getting uncomfortable, but like when you keep the service front and center, it makes it easy to be fearless or to fear less, however we want to say it. Super good. <laughs> so I, I, I don't even need to say nothing to that because he <laughs> said it best. All I'm going to say is amen, sister. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but, but here, here's what you sparked in my mind, though, if I can be honest. Yeah. When I think of fear, I think there's a graduate level to fear. Mm. I think the undergraduate level, mm. which is where most people are at. I've never even said this before. This is, this is what happens when I get around someone amazing like you, okay? I think the undergraduate level to fear for most people is that you fear some outside or external circumstance or thing. Okay. But I think the graduate level to fear is mm. when you realize we fear ourselves. We're scared of ourselves being inept or being incapable in a certain situation. And that's why doing the work that scares us helps us be at a better level when it comes to fear because we all have that little kid inside of us. And by the way, you know, psychologically, we all learn through counseling and therapy. It's the little Morris inside of me that gets scared, right? It's the little Johnny, the little Susie. That's the scared one inside of us. And I can tell you this, as a kid who was orphaned and who went through the foster care system, and my wife knows this because she's been the one to help me heal in this area the most. If we want to fear less, we got to be honest about that little kid that's inside of us that did not get specific needs met 
at an early age. And you and listen, and you're white and you're from Minnesota. So I would go, I'm gonna talk to the white girl from Minnesota for a second. Watch this. So when I started speaking in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, which are my favorite places to be, by the way, everyone knows that I'm probably gonna own the second house, third house in, in Bloomington or Edina, and then I'm gonna have one in Sioux Falls or either in Rapid City, South Dakota, because I love yeah. the Midwest. I started going crazy over all the white people in Minnesota who had these families with 13 people, 12 kids, 11 siblings, blah, blah, blah. So what does the white families in Minnesota with 13 siblings have to do with fearing less? Because I would have these professionals who would come up to me after events and they would talk to me about how much they did not feel loved because they were a middle child. And then I would joke and say, middle child, what number are you? And they would be like, well, I'm number nine. I'm like, out of what? They would be like 14. I'm like, so that means if you're number two or if you're number 13 out of 14, anywhere on that spectrum, you're a middle child, right? Right. But in seriousness, the amount of conversations I would have with customers who would say they had a lot of self-work that they needed to do because their families were just so large that their parents didn't have time for all of them that I realized most of the fears that they had that they needed to overcome if they wanted to fear less is just more about self-love. Yeah. And talking to that, that little kid that's inside of them. So. Yeah. Well, and I, Morris, I ha I'm, I'm hearing you. I've been really doing a lot of work on myself. One of the ways I do that is I run every morning and I listen to a podcast and it's usually just a podcast where like, just for me, right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, I've been thinking a lot about recently, like how I grew up and how it does impact my fears. Um, and so I think that's a really powerful thing for people just to hear. And that uh, this idea of self-love. So I didn't expect that we were going to be talking about self-love, but I would love for you to describe like, how do you, how have you worked on your own self-love? I'm trying to work on mine a little bit more. <laughs> so, so could you give me some advice, Morris? <laughs> well, I will tell you what, if I was not a Christian, if I did not believe in God, and if I did not believe that Jesus actually died for me, okay? So watch this. I wasn't there when that happened. I, I, I didn't see him on Calvary. I, I didn't see what happened. I didn't see him rise from the grace three days later. I didn't see any of that. But the story is so amazing. Mm -hmm. that that was a story that helped me see beyond myself. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So this self-love thing is interesting. It's this thing where you got to be able to focus on you in order to right. care about you and to appreciate you. But in my opinion, you have to have something bigger that you believe in. And in my case, it's my faith. And for most people, they say it's their faith. Mm -hmm. Because having something bigger than you to believe in means there's a different standard that you're focused on, that you're marching to. I tell you something, and I always like to say my wife, Lisa, my wife, Lisa has seen the worst parts of me. I'm 41. We started dating when I was in my mid twenties. So she saw me transitioning from young man in grad school, college basketball player, you know, this motivational speaker. And I had all the ladies and unfortunately, I slept with all the ladies when I was in college. Why did I do that? And why can I talk about that so easily today? Sure. It's because even then I was seeking intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I had such a small, small, shallow view of self-love mm 
that I was actually seeking connection and intimacy and even community through females. And because they liked me and I liked them, it was just this perfect match. But yet with every incidence of someone that I was intimate with, I felt less and less and less about who I really was. Mm -hmm. I started dating my wife around age 25. The moment we started dating, I knew that was it. She was the kindest, the sweetest. She allowed me to be me, imperfections and all. And now 16 years later, we dated for six years and we've been married for 10 years. I'm embarrassed at parts about me that she's seen, but I'm also tremendously humbled because nobody has seen the darker side of me than her. And I love saying that because she gave me space to be me. And can I tell you something? Do you know how many people out there would, would have better self-love right now if they just surrounded them around, around other people who gave them space to really be raw and to be real? Um, I, I just, so having that type of support system around me and also having faith, something bigger than me that I believe in, what does it give me? What does this all mean as this one big question that I'm answering for you about self-love? It equals humility. It equals humility. Something that I've struggled with my whole life. And let me be clear. I did not have parents telling me I was great. I did not have a dad saying, son, I believe in you. You can do it. You can make that team. You can take that class. Or you should start that business because if anyone can be successful in business, it's you. I didn't have that. So you know what I had to do? I had to fake it till I make it. That's why I tell people my greatest title, if I had to really give myself a title, I'm an actor, A-C-T-O-R, because I started acting for the part that I wanted to play at an early age. And even at 41, I don't think I've stopped acting. But so when I don't really have the skills or the discipline or the behaviors or the habits, sometimes I don't even have the best intentions and I'm being really raw and vulnerable so people can understand. Sometimes you just have to find a part or find someone out there who's lived before you or who you admire, who's playing that part and you have to act the part the best you can and let God bless you so that you can get the skills and the discipline and fill in the rest along the way. So Morris, I know that you're passionate about racial issues in our country and uh, that we wanted to have a converse, I wanted to have a conversation with you about what's happening right now and how it connects with Disrupt Yourself. I also live in Minnesota. And so, you know, um, uh, went through like this Minnesota uh, crisis identity a little bit when all the stuff with George Floyd, Floyd happened, happened and it's like, that's not what Minnesota is about, you know? And so um, I, I was struggling with that and I was struggling with all the racial issues and, and just what happened with George Floyd. So how do you think it connects with Disrupt Yourself? So in the book, I call them D1 principles. Um, so there, there, there are three main D1 principles in a book. Okay. One is disrupt yourself around your diet. Mm. Um, second one is disrupt yourself around your beliefs. And so, and within your beliefs, there's thoughts, there's habits, there's mindsets, there's your faith in God, whether you believe in God or not, because all those things form your beliefs. So the first D1 principle is diet. The second D1 principle is beliefs. And the third D1 principle is relationship. And someone asked me, they said, well, Morris, which one are you going to talk about in the book first? You okay. know, the one about God and beliefs or the one about diet? And, you know, jokingly, I thought about it and I said, I got it. I said, I know exactly which one I'm going to talk about first. I'm talking about diet first. And someone was like, you're going to talk about diet before you talk about God? Isn't that a little crazy? 
And I was like, nah, I was like, here's a challenge. All right. If you're a Christian, if you believe in God, go out there and go, let me see you go three or four days without praying. Okay. And then tell me what happens. Cool. Whatever. Then I want you to go three or four days without eating, eating food. And then you come back and tell me which one of those you serve and has the most control over your life. Right. Um, diet is an essential component. And I use it because if you ever see me speak and you have, I use a lot of music when I speak. So seeing me speak is more or less of a speech. It's more of a show than anything. Um, why, why do I use a lot of music? Because music is something that you and I can both relate to. I'm talking about food and diet first in a book because we all do it every single day, right? We can all connect and relate around that. But the book is serving as an opportunity for us to talk about the most important thing around the aspects of disrupting ourselves. And that's disrupting ourselves and our relationships. Because I don't know about you. See, listen, I know you're going to agree with me. I learn the most from others and with others. And I would like to say as human beings, we all do. Now, there's some purely cerebral people out there who you can give them a book and data and research and they can just, oh, they learn a lot from data. They can extrapolate a lot just from looking at data. Me, when I'm doing what you and I are doing right now, and it's also the reason why listeners are listening or viewers are watching this video right now, is because some of us, we learn that there's something that happens in relationship mm-hmm. that only happens in relationship, and it's mm-hmm. irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Nothing can substitute it. So right now, you talk about what's going on in our world. We have to disrupt ourselves. I tell all my white friends this. If you want to change your views, go find some black friends. And I don't mean people you just occasionally talk to. I mean people you actually live life, life with. People who you really, you, you really care about. And you know what? All of a sudden, when you hear someone say something absolutely crazy, like, well, all lives matter. Well, you'll realize how to respond next time you hear that. Yeah. And by the way, for the people out there who may be offended in how I said that, Um, I'm neutral down the middle with everything. Yes, I do believe all lives matter. Yes, I do believe black lives matter. But I'm going to tell you, like, I just spoke at a big church out in Reno, Nevada last month. And I'll tell you what Pastor Dan Frank said. And he's a white pastor and he's older. And he said this to all the white people in the church. He said, guys, you need to stop saying all lives matter. And, of course, when he said that, a lot of people got upset with him. And then they kind of folded their arms and they said, well, you give us a reason to stop saying it. He goes, well, I'm going to give you a reason right now. Pastor Dan said, when I go home tonight, he said, and I see my wife, Judy, who I've been married to for almost 40 years. And she comes up to me. She says, Dan, I missed you so much today. Honey, I just need to know, do you love me? How much do you really love me? Pastor Dan said, in that moment, if he turns to his wife, Judy, and he says, Of course I love you, Judy. I love all people. (laughs) He said, that is not what my wife, Judy, wants to hear in that moment. She wants to know that I am a priority for her, that I matter to her, and that above all else, there's no one who has my heart like she does. Hmm. And let me tell you something. Relationships matter. Because if you don't have Black friends, if I don't have white friends, if we don't have Korean friends, Asian friends, Indian friends, then we will, ha- we, will, we will have these things in our head about people who are different than us. And they will stay there. 
And we cannot achieve a growth mindset that can be disrupted without having those people present in our lives. And the last example I'll give is this. I watched my wife when she got pregnant with our daughter, Dory. I saw her belly grow. I saw her hormones change. I literally saw a physical change. Yet at the same time, our therapist looked at me and here's what she said. She said, Morris, you know she's pregnant. The doctor told you she was pregnant and you see that her belly's growing. But Morris, you're just like most stupid men out there. And she laughed when she said this. She said, you won't actually believe she's really pregnant until the day that baby comes out and they put Dory in your arms and you're gonna then look at your wife and be like, oh my God. I mean, I knew you were pregnant, but like, this is a baby. Like you were really pregnant. And what she was saying is Morris, Lisa knew she was pregnant at the moment of conception because everything changed inside of her body and in her world. And a man will never understand that. So this is what I do now. When women talk about female issues, whether it's how they see the world, whether it's how they see parenthood, whether it's how they see themselves running a business. Now, when a woman talks, I remind myself that I will never experience childbirth. I will never experience the amazing miracle of what it's like to be a female. So now when a woman talks, and it's only now because I'm a father, now when a woman talks, I remind myself to shut up and listen and trust the information they're sharing with me. And that sounds really direct and it sounds bold, but I tell people, if you're a member of an opposite race and they're describing to you what it's like being a part of another race, you should listen yeah. And then try to have empathy and compassion for the words that you're hearing. And if you're listening to someone and you don't have empathy and compassion, mm -hmm. that means either you don't believe in that person, either you believe there's an integrity issue or there's a credibility issue. And even in that case, it's okay because we, we do question the credibility of some people. But you need to get people around you who you don't have credibility issues with and mm -hmm. people who are different than you because you will disrupt yourself if mm -hmm. you actually listen to them and you mm -hmm. take their words and their experiences at faith value. Morris, one of the reasons I was connecting or how I was connecting all the stuff happening with race in our country to disrupt yourself, it's like, I think having these uncomfortable conversations is really hard, you know, and uh, asking people about their experiences so that they can, so you can learn more about what it's like to uh, be a different okay, race or different gender or whatever we're talking about in our country, like that's really hard to open up to that and, and just to hear it. Um, I also think when people say all lives matter, you know, I think it like discounts really what's happening and like um, draws our attention away from racial issues when really this is a time where we really need to be thinking about it and focusing on it and doing something about it. I do. I, I agree. And here's what's on my heart. And this is for anyone listening and watching this video. If there's one thing they take away from this, I want them to understand. And this is going to be what I spend the rest of my life doing. This is my purpose. My life's work will center and evolve around one concept is that I'm going to spend the rest of my life, even though I feel like an actor and I feel like at times I have imposter syndrome but yet I am hired by some of the largest companies in the world to tell them what to do. And in that moment, they need me to be a teacher. They need something from me. And in that moment, what am I gonna spend the rest of my life giving them? 
I want to give people permission to develop critical thinking skills and to learn how to think for themselves. Because when you do that, if you do that, and I have ways and we've got systems, we've got courses, we've got programs, we've got things that, that we're promoting now to help people get back to, well, well on our iPhones, our computers, our, our TVs. Every time we have issues on our phone, if you call Apple and you say you have an issue, one of the first, what's the first thing, I'm not gonna quiz you, but everyone out there listening knows this. If you call the genius bar at Apple and you tell them you're having a problem with your computer or your phone, the first thing they ask you is if you've backed up your phone or your system and then if you reset it back to its default settings, all right? I believe one of the reasons that we don't think critically for ourselves is that some point along the way, we get um, an overabundance of information given to us by our parents, by our grandparents, by our siblings. So that's where it first happens, where our mind gets programmed with someone else's thoughts. And don't get me wrong, as I'm saying this, I'm a father. And there are certain aspects that, that I value, that I believe in living this life, that I hope my daughter and her future husband and my future grandkids, I hope they adopt these same behaviors, but at the same time, I'm going to have to detach away from the fact that my daughter does not belong to me. She's a child of God. And my wife, Lisa, and I are entrusted to kind of be the bumper cars for her at the bowling alley. Like, we can't throw the ball for her, but we'll be the bumper cars, the little bumpers at the bowling alley so that her ball doesn't become a gutter ball. Like, we're not going to let her do crazy things in life, but we got to let her live our, her own life. And I think you have listeners out there listening right now who have not given themselves permission to think for themselves in their whole life because their parents trespassed them. And when I say trespassing, one of the best things that Walter Bond, who you know is one of the greatest keynote yeah. speakers out here, I've got two heroes who are speakers. One is Steve Gilliland. The other one is Walter Bond. Walter Bond met with my wife and I. We were in lower Manhattan in Soho. This is seven years ago when my daughter Dory was in Lisa's belly. We were at the Soho Grand Hotel and Walter Bond leaned over the table and he said, Morris and Lisa, if you want to be great parents, you need to do one thing. Don't trespass your kids. Hmm. And we said, what? Yeah. He said, I know you're confused because you think of the Lord's Prayer where it says, you know, uh, forgive us for our trespasses and keep us from, you know, trespass." He goes, no, no, no. He said, anytime you trespass your kids is where you overreach into their lives hmm. and you do things for them that you should not be doing. What does this have to do with critical thinking skills? I believe there are people listening to this right now who were raised a certain way and they were so influenced by their family and their friends that from an early age, they never gave themselves permission to think for themselves at all. And that's just one example of something that happens in our lives that causes us to adopt other people's thinking. And I know, see, you're all about having a growth mindset. And I know your listeners want a growth mindset. That's why they listen to your podcast. That's why they're watching this. If you want to have a growth mindset and you haven't learned critical thinking skills, which is a fancy way of saying, do you know how to think for yourselves when you're in specific situations? Well, a lot of people listening right now, they can go back. And as I talked earlier about that little kid inside of me, mm -hmm. listen, I never had a chance to learn how to think like my parents or how to think like everyone expected me to. I had a blank slate my entire life that was white. It was a white canvas. And I got a chance to paint with any color that I wanted to. So what happened there? I made a bunch of mistakes. But those mistakes are why I'm 
dramatically successful today as an entrepreneur and business owner because I'm also not scared of taking risks because I've been poor, I was raised poor, I made a bunch of mistakes early, but I had to take ownership of those mistakes at an early age. I had to learn how to think critically for myself. And I think right now, yeah. there's a lot of people listening right now, you know where they get their information from? And I'm not dogging anyone. They get their information from MSNBC, from CNN, from Fox News, from Facebook, from Instagram. And see, Coach COVID sat me on a bench. And because Coach COVID sat me on a bench, I've just now had six months to really kind of reset a lot of my thinking and a lot of mindsets that I've been carrying for 41 years that have not been healthy. And I had to challenge my own critical thinking skills. Morris, I think um, developing critical thinking skills can also be an example of disrupting yourself. You know, just getting uncomfortable and sometimes people are uncomfortable with speaking their opinion. Uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about is the book that you have uh, right now. Yep. Morris, I read it this weekend. So I didn't- Shut up. You didn't read it. You're just trying to make me sound, get all excited. You didn't read my book in one weekend. I did. I did. You did? I got it on ebook and I read it. Yes. Yeah? I did. Ask my husband. <laughs> That's pretty dope. Hey, yo, because listen, my book is not a short book. I mean, it's, it's titled Overnight Success and you want me to tell the world about the book. It's real simple. There's no such thing as overnight success, okay? There's no such thing. Yet, a few years ago when I wrote the book, I had to argue with publishers and literary agents, and they said, Morris, your story is so unbelievable, and we're trying to sell my story to someone in Hollywood. It may be a movie one day, so it has that much traction to it, right? Yeah. They said, your story is so unbelievable. Your first book needs to be your story, and I disagreed. I said, I do not want to write a book that's about me because I live my life on stage. I talk about me enough. I said, I want my first book to solve what I think is one of the major issues in the world. And they said, shut up. We don't care what you think because your customers in Asia and Dubai, they don't know you because your name's not LeBron James and you're not Jay-Z. So your first book has to have your story. So the first book was longer than I wanted it to be because as you now know, it opens up with my story and the book closes with my story. But in the middle of the book, it's the seven steps that we recommend to individuals, teams, and customers to overcoming their attracted their attraction to instant results. Because sometimes wanting things that happen overnight is the very reason why we don't have successful marriages. It's the reason why we don't have good relationships with our kids. It's the reasons why if we would have just held on to that business for one more season, that product would have finally taken off after five years of having no, but if you would have held on to it for one more year, you could have sold your company for $280 million, but you wanted it instantly. That's what the book is about. I love it. Um, and so give us a little sense of what the seven steps are. And then I have a follow-up question, which was my favorite part of the book. So, or right, well, I'll make it quick. I'll make it quick since I know you have a follow-up question. It's real simple. The seven steps starts with number one. Number one is all about culture, all right? I'm teeing up the idea that culture has more of an influence on you than you might realize. And we show culture as a triangle because you're inside of that triangle just like you're inside a culture and you can't get out of it unless you go live on an island by yourself, which by the way, I don't know nobody making islands nowadays. Unless you're living on an island by yourself, you're living somewhere amongst people. When you're living amongst people, there are habits, norms, cultural expectations. The iPhone has a large con contribution to our culture. It's changed everything, right? So that's step one. So culture, but you can't do anything about culture. You're in the middle of the triangle and in the middle of the triangle, are the six steps that you have that you can control. And that's number one, your clarity. 
which I got to with the power of reflection and taking time for solitude and learning how to think for yourself. And number two is commitment, because once you get clarity, you can then commit to your path. And then, of course, after commitment, you've got competence, which, you know, once you commit to something, you don't know what you're doing at first. No matter how clear you are, you still suck at the beginning. But if you stay committed, you'll gain some competence, meaning some skill set at what you're doing. And if you stay there long enough and if you get some coaching along the way and some real feedback about just how much you suck. Right. All right. Then eventually you will start to get a rhythm and you will develop real confidence. And if you stay in that place of confidence and if you stay committed long enough, you will develop pure conviction for what you're doing. And every one of us listening to this podcast or watching it right now, we know what conviction looks like. We know what he or she looks like when they walk into the room of one of our business meetings. It's that person who, when they walk into the room, they don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything. But every one of us knows who the greatest person is in the room in that moment. She looks differently. She smells a little differently. She wears her hair a little differently. And when she speaks, she has the utmost credibility. She has certainty when she talks. She's backing it up with facts and data and not all emotion. And just his or her presence in a room changes everything. That's what conviction looks like. And that's what the that's what the seven steps are all about. I oh, love it. I love that they all start with C. Um, yeah. Super creative. And my my favorite book part, besides like reading more about your story and understanding yeah. it, was this idea of conviction. And I liked the um, the the conviction checklist you included. So right. you know, like to help you think about your conviction. And it's like, um, what's the boldest thing that you've ever done because you believe in it so strongly? What are you most passionate and convicted by? What big step would you like to take in your personal life at home? What area of your work life would you like to develop greater conviction in and why? And I thought you just did a nice job of describing like how conviction is different than confidence, which is really what I wanted you to talk a little bit about. And like, how do you think we continue to develop our conviction? All right, well, I will make it about race relations in our country. Watch this, it's real easy. One of the things that, that I feel like God put on my heart during this time period is the difference between empathy and compassion, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at compassion and kindness uh, in the same category. Empathy is different. Remember I told you, when I listen to a female talk to me about what it's like being a female and her experiences in this world, I should be smart enough to shut up, step one, and then number two, have empathy for what she's saying. But remember, empathy, honestly, is just a feeling. It's an emotion, but you have to let it in. So if I listen to that female when she's speaking about how amazing it was uh, to break through several glass ceilings in her career, to become a VP at, at, at 3M or to become a VP at Target right there in Minneapolis, when she describes that, I know that her experiences are very real, but when she describes that to a white male, he may not give as much credibility to what she's saying yeah. because He's literally the guy that she had to beat to break right. through those glass ceilings, right? Yeah, she right. may have had to beat a black male along the way, but chances are he was a white male and his name was Paul or Peter or Jeff or David or something like that. And, that, and she knew she, who she had to beat to become that VP at 3M or at Target. What's my point? Step one, listen. Step two is empathy. But empathy is just an emotion. So if you want to know what conviction is, Conviction, there's a fine line between confidence and conviction. 
just like there's a fine line between empathy and compassion. The easy way to remember the difference between empathy and compassion is the action, the ah that you hear in compassion, because it sounds like action a little bit. Compassion is empathy in action. <laughs> Kindness is empathy in action. <laughs> empathy is the feeling, but actual compassion and kindness is something that you do. Okay, confidence is a feeling, but that feeling should translate into the form of conviction by saying, these are bold, audacious things that you've done as a result of that feeling that you have. So conviction and compassion, um, by the way, compassion, conviction, all those root words, those are all action-based. So if someone who's listening to this right now, they're like, okay, this all sounds great. What can I do differently? It's real simple. Go home and look at your kids. And if you just stand there, you're going to get about seven things in your head right there that you can do differently right there for your kids today. Go home and look at your husband. Go home or look at your, your wife and just stand there and look at them. And your little mind is going to tell you seven things you can do for them right there to show them how much you love them, whether it's wash the dishes, take out the trash, rub their feet, or to go over to them and tell them why you love being married to them. It's the action piece. Love it, Morris. Uh, you are on fire today. I like it. <laughs> You're doing it. You're doing it. This is all you. <laughs> um, so your book, Disrupt Yourself, comes out in October. People can go and um, pre-order it now. Tell us where we yep. can find more information about the book, uh, where we can find you if people are listening or as they're yeah, listening yeah. and they're like, yeah, I got to have Morris if it's virtually or face-to-face -face, um, and uh, have him speak at our event, how could people learn more from you or about you? Here's the deal. You got to remember my daughter, Dory. She's amazing. She's so amazing. She rebranded our company. She rebranded our organization. So uh, you can reach us at Storymaker Brands with an S, storymakerbrands.com or morrismorrison.com. The best thing about this is we now have a new membership that just went live this past week where people who want to stay connected to this type of content can get exclusive content from me that they will not see anywhere else. I'm so different than other professional speakers. I've had a dramatically successful career. However, I do not do social media. I might post a few times a year and when I do, the world kind of stops. And, and I'm saying that facetiously, of course, I'm not that important that the world stops, but people want so much access to me and they want information from me. But can I tell you something? I speak to a lot of kids in the youth space and I've just always intuitively, I've known for the past few years how bad digital connection and social media is for yeah. youth and adults. That's why today I talk a lot about mental health. That's one of the things I talk about. So as a result, I decided to be a guy who actually models that. So all you have to do is go check my Twitter timeline, go check my Instagram timeline, go check Facebook, go check LinkedIn and you'll see I hardly ever post. Now, I was doing that because I thought it was good leadership. And plus, I struggle with that. I never felt authentic when I was doing that. I felt like I was doing it because the world said I needed to. Sure. And I felt like when I was on social media, it made me feel the opposite of how I feel when I'm live on stage in front of customers. Mm -hmm. So against the advice of all the top marketing and brand people in the world, I've stayed away from that. I had no idea I was setting myself up for success in another area. And that's now that our membership site has launched on storymakerbrands.com. 
we have people who understand that if they want more of me, they can pay $39.99 a month. And here's what we're going to do for your listeners. All right. So you're going to let me know when this podcast drops and yeah. your listeners are going to have a specific promo code. And we're going to make sure they can go to morrismorrison.com slash, hold on, it's going to be a unique thing. What title would you give for today's session? I don't know. Today we talked about a lot. What title? Disrupt. What, what? Disrupt. Disrupt. Okay. 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 So what they're going to have, they're going to have a 14-day period from the day this podcast launch, where they can go to morrismorrison.com slash disrupt. All right. And because I believe in tithing and because I do everything on a 10% tithe, my goal is to one day be able to live off of 10% of the money that I make and give 90% away. So what I'm going to do for your listeners, for the people who want to join my membership site and get more access to this, morrismorrison.com slash disrupt, because you said it, we're going to knock 90% off. And for $3.99, they're going to be able to sign up for less than the price of a cup of coffee for one mm -hmm. month. And through, throughout the month, we're going to give them access to specific posts and specific information that's going to come directly to their phone and in their email. And they're going to have 14 days after this podcast goes live. That's how they can stay connected. And that's what we're Let's going to go. do because I love you and I believe in what you're doing. And you are so daggone authentic. And let me tell you something. You are teaching people how to go beyond grit. Your whole brand is about it, but you are living it. And I'm just honored for the fact that you decided to feature me on your platform. Listen, I know I'm a little handsome, okay? I know I'm more handsome than the next guy. But outside of my handsomeness, I know I'm also the most humblest individual you've ever met. I know you're like, how can he say he's handsome and humble at the same time? I'm not. That's what you would call a paradox right there, okay? I've got working on my humility. But what I am saying uh, is thank you. Because yeah. there's a million people you could have brought onto your show, your podcast, but you chose a little old guy like me. And for that, Lisa's husband and Dory and Aaliyah's dad, I say thank you. I appreciate it. Morris, that's funny and awesome. And I appreciate you saying thank you. And I, what an incredible offer that you're giving people. So you can um, scroll up wherever you're listening on the pod. Like if you're listening to it on your phone, you can find the show notes by scrolling up and there'll be a link there. But if not, just remember morrismorrison.com slash disrupt. And what a yeah, great yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Morris, I always do my best to summarize what we talked about. So here I go. I love that you talked today about Coach COVID. And I like, I like that idea because you made me think a lot about like what, what, what would a coach tell me during this time and what has a coach told me. And maybe that coach is really like my inner wisdom. But I love yeah. that idea of like Coach, coach COVID. And then we were talking about disrupting, disrupting yourself and just the importance of getting uncomfortable. And you said we have to face it. And we talked about being fearless today. And that helps you develop a new skill set so that you have more to give. And that part yeah. was really meaningful to me because I think about as I try to get out there more with this podcast or other ways, it's like I'm just able to serve and give more when I do that. Yes. And that people yes. heard that when they were listening. And then when we talked about these D1 principles, you know, diet, belief, relationships, we talked about racial issues today that I thought were really yeah. meaningful and important. And just at the end, when we were talking about conviction and how to develop it and this idea of like empathy versus compassion. So That's Morris, right. thanks That's for right. being on the podcast today. Uh, thanks for giving to everybody so much value and entertaining us and making us laugh as well. So. And if, if I, if I could close and say one thing, 
I've gotten the habit of of understanding that how you close is important. So uh, we're taught that as speakers, right? So I'll close by saying this. For anyone listening to this or watching this podcast, if you think you just happen to be listening to this today, if you think you just happen to stumble upon this video, there are absolutely no coincidences in life. Coincidences are God's way of staying anonymous. And I know you were created for a reason, but you can determine how deep that reason goes in this life. If you can develop some conviction and purpose in your life, and you can understand how to disrupt yourself to keep growing while also finding ways to do it for others, then let me tell you something. That dash on your tombstone one day is gonna have a lot included in it because that's the life, type of life I wanna live. I've realized I've been poor. I've had a lot of money in life. I've experienced everything in between. And after having a breath of experiences, I know this, nothing touches you like knowing that you're growing your own mindset and your heart from within and you're taking action in life. So keep doing it. Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.